It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Amen. Hide me, Lord. Hide me. Amen. Can I get an amen from the church? Good deal. Amen. Well, thanks for being here this morning. It's uh, good to be with you in the house of the Lord and an exciting day for us. Um, I don't know what festivities uh, Pastor Ryan was talking about, but uh, we'll try to do the best we can in terms of the festivity deal. Uh, I want to preach the Word of God with you, but uh, you know, uh, I've just been thinking we're going to be gone about three weeks, uh, they tell me. Um, two Sundays, three weeks. We get back on a Thursday. And um, while we're gone, we got uh, two great preachers of the Word. One's our own uh, uh, Pastor Jason, right down here. Pastor Jason, put your hand up in case nobody knows who you are. There you are. And uh, Pastor Steve Morielli. Steve, where are you? You're around here somewhere, I think. He's, there he is back there. Okay. Oh, and his wife is here and his son. Good. So, Steve, just stand up just so they can see who you are. He's a good-looking guy. has a beautiful wife and kid. And, and you know what? Uh, he's written a, a book on geology and, and because he's a geologist, but he's married geology to the creation story in Genesis 1. Now, I don't know what he's going to preach on, but I wouldn't miss it if I were you. He's going to preach on whatever God lays on his heart, just like uh, uh, Pastor Jason will. But um, you guys will have a great time in the Word while I'm gone. I'm, I'm excited about that. And thank you, gentlemen, for uh, taking the Word with us. So um, uh, we leave today at 515 from Boise uh, Airport. But what I want you to know is today's not about Africa. I mean, Africa will be a part of what we're talking about. But uh, today is, um, well, the reality is it's all about Jesus. Um, if, if it wasn't for Jesus, uh, we wouldn't be going to Africa. So uh, what do you say about that? Um, in the church, you know, we're not about a doctrine. Some, some Nazarenes thinks we're about a doctrine. Well, we're not about a doctrine. Uh, we're not about programs or buildings. Um, we're not about raising money. And all God's people said, Amen. Oh, man, I thought we could do a lot better on that one. <laughs> Pardon me, somebody's texting me while I'm preaching. I don't know what to do about it. Oh, you don't want it. No, no, no worries. It's just, I'm not even going to tell you. It's not, it's not my mom or my dad, so I'm good. All right, so. Uh, you know, as we open the Word, we're going to go, for three weeks we've been walking with Peter. Now we're going to go to that passage where Jesus and Peter are walking on the water. It's Matthew 14. Um, just a couple thoughts before we open the Word. Um, uh, you know, when I was in, in cemetery, seminary, I always get those two words mixed up. When I was in seminary, uh, and we had our homiletics class, uh, homiletics teaches you how to preach, you know what I mean? Uh, so they, they teach you how to communicate and how to break the word down and study and all that. Well, they gave us some, some advice, some recommendations that we might try from time to time. Uh, one of them was to try to be both brief and, and brilliant. And they said, if you can't be brilliant, at least be brief. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I remember is uh, every, every good sermon has a good introduction and it's got a good conclusion. And, the, and, and you're supposed to keep, do the best you can to keep those two as close as you can together. So this morning, we'll see how we do in the Word of God. Now, let me just say, let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken a walk with someone? Um, and as you're walking, you're talking, 
And you begin to learn some things that you've never known before. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes walking and talking go together, and there's some surprises in the walk. I think that's part of what we see here. When Peter and Jesus, when we look at their, what I'm calling their developing relationship, from the first time that Jesus met Peter, or should I say Peter met Jesus, when Andrew, his brother, brings him, and Jesus looks at him and he, he renames him. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm Kephas. And then he makes that incredible statement um, later on. It's on this, on this rock. You're the rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. From that beginning all the way to the end of, of the, after the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, when he looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? I mean, that's a developing relationship. There's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Would you not agree with Peter? And, and, and when you're dealing with a guy who knows how to put his foot in his mouth before his brain and gear, you know he's got a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And he's eating his words. That, that's Peter. So... Um, uh, you'll, you'll, um, you'll notice in the back of your, your worship folder, uh, it, how many of you have one of these green things right here? You got a green one? If you need one, hey, can we get someone to just walk up and down the aisles in case you don't have one, especially for those who haven't been here? Um, just uh, thank you, Pastor Jason. Let's just uh, pass those up. And if you need one, uh, grab one. And because it's got some notes from the, from the, from the back uh, last two Sundays. And uh, you'll notice that in the back, we, we got a big idea. The biggest discovery, I, I'm saying, that we find out in this, this developing relationship, we find out a lot but, about who God is, his character, his heart, his nature toward us when we look at Jesus and Peter and this little walk they take on the water. They're developed, so when, when we see what, how Jesus treats Peter, uh, we see how God treats us, how he feels about us. So here's some, here's some uh, worship folders, guys, and on the back you'll see some of this stuff of, in case you're catching up with us. And um, so as we read the story, we'll, we'll fill in a couple of these blanks here for you, but uh, I want to read the story and then we'll, we'll, we'll just do a real quick catch up on uh, the last couple of weeks, okay? So the, in the Word of God, chapter 14 of Matthew, and I'm going to start with verse 22, um, as we have, we've read this story before, but let me tell you why I want to read it again. I believe in the reading of the Word of God, there's power. When we read the Word of God publicly, th- there's tremendous power because the Word of God speaks for itself. How many times have you read a passage? You've read it a hundred times. On the hundred and one time, you see something you never saw before. That's the Word of God. The, the words, God's Word is not. It's not static. It's not dead. It doesn't laissez-faire. It's dynamic. It's powerful. The scripture defines the word of God like a sword. It's a double-edged sword, and it cuts both ways. And it pierces our hearts. So I believe, just when we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to our hearts individually what he wants to say to each one of us. So what he says to you might be different than he says what he says to you. Because that's what he does. He knows us well. So if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart this morning, even as we read the word, he will do a work within your heart. So let's stand in honor of the word of God, and we're going to read it together. Here's the story. I love this story. This is right after Jesus fed the 5,000. Now immediately, verse 22, Jesus, he made the disciples, remember that, he made the disciples get into the boat, 
and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus has taken charge here. He makes the disciples get in the boat. He dismisses the crowd. And after he's dismissed them all, he goes up to the mountain by himself. Say these next two words with me. To pray. Wow. Think Jesus would have more important things to do. But, but he's just going to go pray. Spend some time with the Father. Well, when the evening came. So he must have been praying quite a while. When the evening came, he was there alone. But the boat already had gone a considerable distance from the land. And it was being buffeted by the waters because the wind was against it. Now, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. So now it's getting dark. You can barely see. And the disciples see him walking on the lake. They're terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cry out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Hey, take courage, guys. It is I. Don't be afraid. The Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, well, come on then. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he, he, he was afraid. And, and, and beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And I love that prayer. Short, sweet, powerful to the point. Immediately, Jesus answered his prayer. He reached down his hand. He catches him. And then while he's picking him up, he says, oh, Peter, you of little faith. Why did you doubt me, buddy? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind now dies down. And then those who were in the boat, they, they worshipped him. They knew something had happened. They said, truly, you are the Son of God. And when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to every one of the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him, and they begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And I love this last phrase, too. Oh, man. We could go on for weeks in this, just this story, and everyone who touched him was healed. Woohoo! Anybody need some healing here this morning? Well, there's your man, Jesus of Nazareth. You reach out and touch him, and something will happen in your life. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where, how far you've come from, your education, how much money you got. It does, none of that matters. All he wants is you to trust him and take a little faith, and God will do the rest. Yeah! Come on, church. I'm getting excited. It's probably because I'm going to Africa, but anyway. Now, Lord, this is your word. It's your unadulterated, holy, powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword, anointed, Spirit-inspired, inerrant, without error, all for us, authoritative. And Lord, you've given it to us for a reason. And God, I believe this morning there's some folks here that need to reach out and touch the hem of the garment of Jesus so they can be healed. Lord, in their mind, their thoughts, their questions, Lord, you do it all. So, Lord, now hide the messenger behind the cross. For this morning, like the Greeks, we would see Jesus and Jesus only. We would hear from Jesus and him only. And as you do, Lord, as you change our lives, we will give you praise and honor because only you deserve the glory. You're the one that died on the cross. You're the one that gave your life's blood for us. 
And we worship you today with joy and thanksgiving, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Well, I love sharing the word with you, church. Um, take, if, it, if it helps you, take your worship folder and just look at the back of it there for a minute. Um, um, the first thing we, we, we found when we took this walk with Peter and Jesus, uh, we, we found that, um, well, we found that Jesus, he always focused on Peter's potential instead of his failure or his past. Now, I love that. How many times have you been around people and all they could do is point out how bad you were or what you did wrong? That's not God. That's not the picture of Jesus we see here. He, he, he's reaching down. He lifts Peter up. He picks him up. He's, he's not focused on his doubt. He knows you're Peter. I've already renamed you, buddy. Guess what? God's going to do something in your life. You don't even know what God's going to do. So put your seatbelt on because God's going to use you. That's what's going on in Jesus' mind and heart. So he lifts him up. He's focused on tomorrow, the plans he has for him. I, I find as Christians sometimes it's so easy for us uh, to get caught up, to focus on our mistakes, on the things we've done wrong, on our failures, on the things we say we wish we hadn't have said, and we kind of beat ourselves up. Anybody want to testify? And you just kind of walk around like this, woe, despair, gloom, gloom despair, and agony on me. Whoa, you remember that one? Deep, dark depression. Oh, well, we got an enemy. We got an enemy. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a stealer of the truth. He is the accuser. And he accuses you day and night. He tries to take you back to your past when Jesus wants to look to your future. Are you with me, church? Jesus has forgiven your past. If you've come to him and said, Lord, I need some help. Lord, save me like Peter. Jesus has already done that, so get moving to the future. He's focusing on your potential. That's what I love. I, you know, sometimes we focus so much on the, old, on the New Testament, we forget some of the beautiful, graceful statements God's Word says in the Old. How about this one uh, to Isaiah? Uh, come, now let us reason together. Talking about a walk. Come, Jesus, God says, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet. God's saying, I know how bad they are. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Can you say that with me? They shall be white as snow. That's what he says about your sins. Come on, let's talk, God says. I want you to know, I'm going to forgive your sins. And though they're pretty bad, I'm going to take care of it. Woohoo! I'm getting excited again. How about what he says to uh, Ezekiel? I love what he says to Ezekiel in, in chapter 36. It's one of my favorite verses. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, spirit in you. That's Ezekiel chapter 36. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Now that, that's who God is in the Old Testament, not the new. Come on, let's talk. I, I want to be a God who forgives sins, he says. Because God's focused not on the junkola in your life. He's focused on who he wants to make you into. 
That's pretty good stuff right there. That'll preach in any language on any continent in the world. Uh, one of the things I love doing when I go to Africa, some of these people have never seen a white man. Certainly not a, a man with such a chiseled physique and good-looking guy and all that. I, I've seen them take uh, people uh, who have extremely white hair and, and uh, just pale skin and just feel their skin and feel the hair because they don't, they don't... These little children, they've never seen such things. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. But I'll tell you what. I always tell them the same thing. God loves you. You are not forgotten. You are some of the poorest people on the face of the earth. But God walks with you. And in many ways, you're richer than the richest people financially. Because you know him. That's, that's a great message. It's a message of the Old Testament. He's the same God in the Old as he is in the New. That's why he says in the Old Testament, I am the Lord your God. I never change. In fact, I cannot, you can almost see God sitting on his throne. I am the Lord your God. I never change. Huh? Can you see him putting his chin out there? I never, I never change. That's one thing you can count on. You don't need change you can hope in. Change you can believe in, right? No, I never change. You need something that never changes. Amen? Yeah, I almost went political there just for a moment. So thanks God for saving me. Yeah, so here's the takeaway. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're kind of writing this down. Like he did to Peter, you can always count on God to lift you up. And I don't know what you're going through today, but God knows. And whatever you're going through, if you'll reach out and touch the hem of his garment, he'll lift you up. Lord, save me. That's the takeaway. Now, last week, that was first week. Last week, what we kind of learned was... Um, was that, well, God is always going to stretch us as much as we will allow him. So the, so the takeaway is, um, is he will stretch you as much as you will let him stretch you. And, and, you know, I didn't mean to do this. I really didn't. I, I had given this up for last week, but I found them in my pocket again. Here they are, some of these rubber bands. Remember, a rubber band is only as good as, as, as it's stretched. That one didn't go very far. They come in all shapes, shapes. Sizes and shapes, and you know, and, and some of them are skinny, some of them are fat, and some of them are tall. And that one there's on Jenny Craig, as I said last week. Those are rubber bands. Here, here, put these in the offering or something. Do, get them out of here so I don't want them anymore. Um, God is going to stretch you as much as you will be stretched. In a few moments, I'm going to introduce you to a guy by the name of Evans. Evans was raised in a Muslim family in southern Malawi. I remember the first time I met Evans, we, he and I were digging a hole to put posts in a little fence for a fence to surround a children's play area that we had, we had built this building a couple years before, and now it had 100 children in it every day, just little tykes, little tykes, a preschool for all the students on this campus. It's a real great ministry. And this man has a pickaxe without any handle, and he squatted down like I can't even squat, and he's going like this with a pickaxe for about an hour. He's digging a hole in the hot desert until we can put the post after post after post, and his name's Evans. He came to Christ when he was a teenager because someone, a friend of his, invited him to the Church of the Nazarene in his Muslim town. All his family were Muslims. His brothers, his sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, moms, dad, grandma, and grandpa. They're all Muslim. When he came to Jesus and they found out about it, they said to him, 
Leave town. Don't ever come back. And if we see you, we'll kill you. Now, he's telling me that story as we're sitting here digging. Well, he's digging. We're just, I'm talking. Okay. Here he is digging. And, 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 and I'm asking, tell me your story. And, and I love this guy. And, and so Evans, he has to flee. And he finds himself in the long way, north, central Malawi, where we're going we're to be going. And because he feels God's called him to do something about sharing his faith, he enters our Nazarene Theological School there, where I go to teach. And he's one of my first students, my first year there, is a graduating student. I didn't know this a few years later. They're closing down the church. And what does he do? He tells the DS, you can't close that church down. That's where I found Jesus. And the DS says, well, I know your story, and you can't go back there. Your brothers will kill you. He's, he, he's told me the story. He said, I felt in my heart God was calling me to go back. It, my life didn't matter. So this young man, I'll show you his picture a little later on. This young man goes back to his hometown in southern Malawi. And he starts pastoring this church. They didn't kill him. In fact, he started gathering respect. His mother got sick. He prayed for his mother. She got well. And all now of his brothers, aunts and uncles and cousins, everybody's coming to him saying, pray for me. And now his prayer is that God will, God will use him to reach his mom and dad and brothers for Jesus in a hotbed of Muslim territory. I've been there many times. You ought to see it. It's a little scary just driving through it. And there's Evans. He's going to be with us this week. I told, I, because they don't have any money, I told our, our leader, I said, hey, you tell him I'll get him, you, I'll pay for his way. Get him, put him on a bus, send him up there. I want him, I want him to come because I saw him in 2016. And he tells me this story. He had 20 minutes with me, and we picked him up at a bus stop. We picked him up, and my driver said, you got 20 minutes. We're going to drop you off there. You better tell him. He starts yelling. I taught for a solid week on conflict resolution in the church, how to grow a healthy church, deal with conflict, and bring it, make it a win-win. He took all those notes, took them back to the church among these Muslims. And he told me, he said, every time I go to a board meeting, they'd beat me to death. I'd go back and I'd look at your notes. He said, your notes saved my ministry and made my church grow. Figure that. A class in conflict resolution saved his ministry. I love this kid. I'm going to show him to you in a little bit, like I said. You know what God was doing with Evans? He was saying, Evans, touch the hem of my garden garment. Just trust me and I'm going to stretch you. And boy, he stretched him. How would you like to go into a hotbed where you felt like someone was going to kill you and you went anyway, knowing that's what God called you to do? That's what we're talking about. God will stretch you as much as you allow, as you allow him to stretch you. He wants to use you. That's what he does with Evans. Now, here's, here's my last thought um, for today. Um, I believe this with all of my heart. And here it is. I think what we see in this story uh, between Peter and Jesus, this elongated, developing relationship, God never, he never gives up on us. In fact, I, I, once in a while I tell you, we sing our theology. Well, there's, there's a, a song we sing, I, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but those are the words. He never gives up, he never gives up, he never gives up on me. Anybody remember that chorus? He never gives up, never gives up, never gives up on me. I love that because it's in the Bible. And it's what we see between Peter and Jesus. Jesus never gave up on Peter. Do you want me to prove it to you? Go to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. 
And you will find Peter and Jesus after Jesus is on the cross. Peter has denied Jesus three times. He swore that he didn't know him. The same guy who said, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll never forsake you. Jesus said, watch out what you say, buddy, because it's coming down the pike. And three times, not once. And he hears the rooster crow, cock-a-doodle-doo. It cements it. He's shamed. He's, he's embarrassed. He's broken. And now Jesus proves he's the Messiah. He's been dead, buried. Three days he's raised. And now he's with his disciples by the lakeside. They've had dinner. And Jesus looks at Peter and three times, not once, not twice, but three times, to go along with what Jesus said. Three times, by the time that rooster crows, you're going to deny me. So be careful, Peter, what you say. I know who you are, Peter, but I also know who God wants to make you. And Peter says, okay, Lord, I'm here. They had dinner, and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know, I lo- you know Lord, I love you. Peter, Peter, do you really love me? Oh, you know, Lord, I love you. Do you know that there's a play on words there? In the Greek language, there's a lot of different words for love. Uh... Let me give you two or three of them. You know some of them. Uh, so, for instance, there's eros. Eros comes, that's where we get our word erotic, erotica. It's, it's where pornography comes from, eros, erotica. It's a, it's a physical, sexual love. Uh, there's phileo. Phileo is, comes, you know, the city of phileo delphia, the city of brotherly love. There's Stutero. There's the, the, there's the love that we share as families. Moms and dads, brothers and sisters, uh, aunts and uncles. That's a family love, Stutero. Bless you. There's also um, the highest of all loves. Now, some of you know what it is. It's called agape love. It's unlike any other love. It's a love that's unconditional. It's immeasurable. Woo-hoo. Are you listening? This is God's love. It's immeasurable. It's unlimited. There are no strings attached. God loves you regardless of who you are. There ain't nothing you can do about it. He's God. It's his agape love. There's no love like it. And God says it doesn't matter what you've done, how bad you've been, how long you've been bad. There's nothing you can do to make me love you any more than I already do. So quit working so hard. And by the way, there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. There's no sin that's greater than my love. My love is bigger than you'll ever know. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. It's an unlimited, immeasurable. It's a, it's a, it, there's no expectations on this love. He's going to love you regardless. He just wants you to trust him and love him back. That's why he never gives up on us. And if Peter doesn't prove it by his failure when Jesus says, do you love me? Because Peter uses phileo. Yes, Lord, I phileo. I phileo. I brotherly love you. And Jesus says, no, no, that's, I'm talking about agape. I'm talking about agape. It's a, it's a back and forth dialogue. Agape phileo. Jesus wants to go deep with Peter. Peter's too ashamed. And Jesus is going, hey, hey, hang on, Peter. Don't wear the guilt. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. God forgives, and I forgive you. I love that story. So, so um, you know, if that's how God feels about us, I think that's probably how 
we ought to feel about each other. You know, at times I can be pretty judgmental. Did you know that? Well, you didn't know that, did you? Well, um, I'm glad you don't. But I have to pray against judgment in my life all the time. I see something and I want to judge it. Anybody like me? Uh, and, the, and the reality is, I'm not that smart. I'm not that brilliant. Uh, if someone all of a sudden got up and walked out here after I said something poignant, you, you could judge the action. You could say they got up and you walked out. But you couldn't say why they walked out. Right? You can't judge motive. Now, maybe they told me, Pastor, I got to get up at the end of your sermon and I got to leave a little early today. Is that okay? Yeah, they go right ahead. I won't even notice it. And I, normally I don't. But you have said, well, you offended them. Well, how do you know? Well, because they got up and walked out. Oh, yeah, they did. I saw it. But you're judging their motive. You understand, you can judge a person asking, you can't judge their motive. And only God can judge the heart. He knows your heart. He knows you inside and out better than you, you know yourself. And, and I just, I've always dreamed of, of pastoring churches that they just love people the way they were. People don't have to do anything to, to earn my love. I just love them because God loves them. Now, my love's not perfect like his is. But I want to love him. And I'll tell you what, I learned that, I learned that lesson in, in Eugene where the front rows here were filled with prostitutes and gang members and drug addicts, literally. Those on meth, half their teeth were missing. You know why they came to the Church of the Nazarene? It was just like this one. Because their pastor loved them. They found out they, they can go to a place where the pastor loves them. And when I would hug them and just bless them and pray over them right here, then the people started doing the same thing. And I don't know how many people said to me, Pastor, you know how come we are who we are today? Because we saw you do what, what Jesus did. I go, wow, that, that works. I'll take that. I'll take that. All the bling bling. All the low skirts. I mean the short skirts and the low blouses. All the teeth missing. Uh, it was all right there, blatant. All the bling bling uh, chains hanging all over the place. Tattoos us on faces. You can look all through that stuff and love somebody. Did you know that? And leave the judgment to God. Because you don't know how broken, beat up, what they've been through. And, and God knows. And I love that about the church. Because this is one place where people ought to be able to feel safe. Amen. No judgment. No judgment at these doors. We just accept you and we love you where you are as I want you to do me. And when I make a mistake, you help me through it and I'll confess it and we go on. That's brotherly love. Yeah, I love that. Well, if God loves us that way, then shouldn't we love each other that way? That's, yeah. And I think, I think, that's why we do what we do as you know, last week we talked about we're a mission-driven church. We are missionaries. All of us are... It starts here in the pew. You're a missionary the minute you come to Christ. God wants to use you to share your faith with someone else. Did you know that? And sometimes you don't have to use words. You just live it out. And let the change be evident. And then people go, whoa, I want that. Whatever it is you I want, whatever you have, I want it. That's because you're just living it. Which is a lot better than saying it and not living it. So you just live it. 
And God, the Holy Spirit, is big enough to take care of his own PR. He just uses you, sometimes in spite of yourself. It's a pretty good deal. Amen? Boy, I goofed that up pretty big. Well, son, I used you anyway. Thank you, Lord. It wasn't me then. I know what I miss I made out of it. Yeah, so I think that's why we're going to Africa. Because people there need to know that God loves them. And we're going into a place, uh, well, two of the nations that are the most poor, poor nations in the entire world. Um, pastors there, they don't get a salary. They've got to raise chickens or do something to make funds. Um, the poverty, the children, it's a nation of children raising children, I say. I've seen it, little texts like this. And once in a while I've thrown out a, a, a tidbit or two. Little children like this tall carrying a little one like that. And at the same time having two gallons of water on her head. Walking for two hours just to have clean water in the village. Um, I am so grateful because one of the things we'll be doing in the next two weeks is we'll be dedicating a well that we're going to be putting in. in you are the sponsor of the well because of a, a generous family in this church said, we want to put a well in when you go there, Pastor. And it surprised me. So when we go, we're going to, we're going to dedicate a well on the, by virtue of the Mountain View Church of the Nazarene in Mountain View, Idaho. Um, we got another half a well going. We partnered with another church. And we're putting in clean water. And when you put in clean water, you solve a lot of problems. It's not only just you're solving the, the problems of death and dying with children who die of waterborne diseases... You are protecting the children and the, and, the, and the women whose job is to walk every day and get water, sometimes two, three, four hours one way, two or three, four hours the next way, every single day. And because they have to go through dangerous areas, you can imagine what they're exposed to. You do the math, and that's why we got a lot of little ones, a lot of children. And some, I've seen pastors, district superintendents, Christian leaders, have 10 or 12 kids in their own home that aren't their own children because... Their parents died of AIDS or some other kind of a disease. It's pandemic, pandemic in Africa. And so you have a, one of our friends, uh, Albino Banda. We're going to be with him in Mozambique. He's, he's usually got eight or ten kids in his family. And I've watched them grow up, little ones, to, 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 and now they're under the influence of God and they're becoming missionaries uh, for, the, for the glory of God. That's why we're going to say people like you have not forgotten them. Amen? Yeah. And we get to be your representatives. Now, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, just a few. And I'm going to go fast because I know what pictures do. We can bore you to death. But I'm going to just give you a couple of stories. Here we go. So here's Africa. We're going to be, we're going to be right, right around in here, kind of central Africa. And then we're going to go down southern to, to uh, uh, Mozambique in here. But uh, we land in Addis Ababa, someplace up in here, another five or six hours flight here. It's about 14 hours one trip, 17 hours back. You want to know how to pray? There's an idea. <laughs> so uh, check this out. So here's Evans. I told you about Evans. I love this guy. And uh, Evans is going to be, uh, he's going to be with us. He's driving up from southern Malawi to northern Malawi because we land in a couple days. It takes about parts of three days to get there. We go to bed, we get up in the morning, we drive five or six hours north, and the other part of the team goes five or six hours south. We're going to do a VBS with thousands of kids, hundreds of kids, should have said hundreds of kids. And, and some of us will be teaching pastors, district superintendents, leaders, 
And uh, that's what we'll be doing. This guy's going to be with us. I'm going to have him tell a story. Uh, the guy on, on, my, on my right, your left, his name is Emmanuel. The guy on the other side, over here, uh, this is Albino Banda. He's our DS in Mozambique. Emmanuel lives in Malawi. Uh, Emmanuel, um, when he was a young man, he's the oldest of nine children in Rwanda. Uh, and and when, in 19, 1994, when, uh, when all of a sudden there was a lot of turmoil and uh, groups of men started killing people, they, he, he watched, uh, he, he watched um, a group of guys kill his dad right in the front yard. Um, a couple weeks later, they came back to kill him, and they killed his brother instead because they thought he was, he was him. They mistook him. And his mom said, you've got to get out of here. He flew to Congo. I mean, no, not flew, but he fled to Congo. So now he's in Congo. He's hiding in the jungle with dozens of other men whose lives are at stake. And Emmanuel's there for his own life. Um, the Congo authorities would come in and try to find these guys, take them back to kill them. They were just, they were killing them left and right. One day they got word that uh, the, the Congo, I mean that uh, Rwanda was, was accepting guys back so you can come back and safe. But the minute they got to the border, they arrested him, put him in jail. He was in jail for three years, no judge, no jury. He's just there rotting in a jail. But what the enemy meant for bad, God meant for good. <laughs> God said to Nazarene pastor, and then Nazarene pastor was able to come and talk to Emmanuel. Emmanuel, have you ever heard that God loves you? Jesus died on the cross for you. He wants you to be a man of God. And right there he knelt and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Well, he got out of prison. When he got out of prison, um, he started attending a Nazarene church, of course, because it was a Nazarene pastor in the jail system. Later on, uh, one of the guards that was in the prison system recognized him and decided he wanted his property, so he manipulated him and put a contract on his life so he could steal his property. So he had to flee again. This time he flees where? To Malawi. And he winds up in a Malawi uh, camp. A concert, what do you call the camp? Come on. Refugee. refugee camp. Yeah, it's called the Zedla a refugee camp. I've been there many times. Uh, we're going to go there again, I think. What did he do in this refugee camp? He goes, well, God, I'm going to plant a church. And he plants a church of the Nazarene. And the first year I'm there, I went to that place and I saw his church the roof had holes all through it. It was a thatched roof, but it was broken. So he fixed the roof. Later on, he gets out of the camp. He begins to go to Nazarene Theological Seminary, where we're going to go. He gets a degree. He plants a French-speaking church. Then he finds out it's a little bit too uh, narrow. And now he has a Chichewa church and a French church. And he has more than 150 kids he feeds every single week through that church's ministry that have no food or clothing. I've seen it. I've been there. It's pretty cool. That's Emmanuel. And I'll get to see him. We'll get to see him. So here's some kids. I'm in a little village called Chiimba Village. The pastor is Chipi. His dad was the pastor, 90-some years of age. The first time I was there, I washed his dad's feet under those trees. God spoke to my heart, and he said, I don't want you to say anything. I want you to do something. And I'm going, God, you sure you want me to do this? I'm in a foreign culture. I don't know what I'm doing. And I got down on my hands and knees. I took off that man's shoes, and I washed the feet of the chief who was the pastor of all these children and kids and villages. And we get to preach the, the gospel. This is where we're going, right there. 
This is the first village we ever put a well in. It's pretty cool. Here's the children we preached to in a place called uh, Dedza. I preached under that tree. The next year, we put in a church. Here's the church. When I preached the first Sunday, when we planted the church, it was a plastic black tarp put on poles of sticks, and it was so hot, it kept hitting my head while I'm preaching. So I got the Bible here, and my head's burning. I have to take my finger like this, and I'm holding it up, and my fingers are burning. One of our guys fainted, right? Probably because of my preaching, but he fainted right there. (laughs) Finally, I had to ask, would someone come and just hold this up so I don't have to hold it up while I'm preaching? And here's the church. And they've already planted three or four other churches out of this church. And they have a building now. Story goes on. Oh, this is one of our board members. (laughs) That's all fun. Here's another church we planted. I call this Eugenia Church of the Nazarene because I was at Eugene. The name of that church is Mojinga. And when we were there, there was this is the church in Malawi where a witch doctor tried to vex us when we were showing the Jesus film, preaching the gospel. He ran into the graveyard where they come from and they threaten you to get money, cast a spell on you. What we didn't know was when we chased him in the graveyard, he came back that night changed his clothes, came back. He watched the movie. When we preached the gospel, this witch doctor comes forward, accepts Jesus. A year later, I'm there. I don't even know it. We're putting a building up. That building, it didn't have a roof on it yet. And what happens is they take in 26 people and new members. And one of them was the witch doctor who is now the choir director in the church. (laughs) Only God can do that. Only God can do that. This is where we're going. There's the witch doctor. There they are. And they, they chase you. They follow you. They get on you. And they try, to, they try to threaten you. And I just go, well, my Jesus is bigger than your devil. So come on, dude. Let's get on with it. All right? Yeah, so here we are. We're celebrating the church. They gather you. That, okay, I have to admit, I do have one sport coat and one <laughs> pair of slacks. The only time I wear them is here in this part of the country because that's the culture. Um, I love these people. You show up, they throw their arms around you. Oh, thank you, Pastor, for what you're doing. And the guy in Mozambique who's in charge of southern Mozambique, he said, do you realize what you're doing in Mozambique? You're raising the faith of every Nazarene, every Nazarene church in the nation. I've literally seen it. Because all it takes is a cup of cold water, cold water in Jesus' name, and God does the rest. We just show up. It, it is an amazing thing. So here we are celebrating God doing his work in these churches. I don't know. Oh, here we go. There's the church. I showed up on a Saturday with a group of teenagers. In fact, now that I see it, you can see someone on the front row to the left. There's Pastor Julie, who was an alcoholic in my church and now is a formidable pastor in the Church of the Nazarene. She's a communicator just par excellence. That church on Saturday, we, uh, we just, they don't have funds. We give them the funds. They build the building. If you do it, you take away their jobs that they need because there is no jobs. So here our Nazarene layman built this. When I get there, there's no roof on it. There's no floor. They're stuccoing the inside. That's on Saturday. The next day, we were scheduled for a celebration to dedicate the building. That's what it looked like the next day. They had the roof on, the floor on. It was all painted. We celebrated. And they've now planted four or five churches out of that church. Over 200 people in that little building right now. The gospel is just growing. It's a powerful thing. Look at the, look at the eyes of the children. 
Look at them, little boys. Look at that precious little girl. God knows where she is now. I don't know her name, but I saw her and I took her picture. And the Lord God loves her as much as he loves me. And that's why we go, to love people who don't feel loved. They feel forgotten. And by the way, most people that go to Africa, they don't go back because you go into places where there's no clean water, there's no electricity. It's thatched roofs, dirt floors, stick walls. It's like we, it's like we stepped into the world 200 years ago because they're held down. Some people will say, why don't they rise up? They're being held down. They're being manipulated. It's, it's, it's something we don't understand. We, we think we can fix it because we're Americans. Here's a group I taught in Malawi, in central Malawi. Well, close to northern. I love this guy right here. He's the same age, was born on the same day as me. But I'm two hours older than him, so I told him I'm his elder and he has to respect me. <laughs> Can't wait to see him again, maybe. I don't know where I'm going now with all this stuff. Here's your well, church. There's your well. Hold it. There's Chin Sensei. Hello. That guy right there. He's the guy who I've been communicating with. And I said, we want to put in a well so when we get there, Mountain View Church, can, we can dedicate that well. He said, Les, I'll get, her, I'll get her done. I said, okay, there he is. He's the director of Compassionate Ministries in the entire nation of Malawi. And he was one of my students my first year in the long way at NTCCA, Nazarene Theological College. There's your well, church. It's right next door to the church. See that? We put it next to a church so it can't be sabotaged. And guess what? Hundreds and hundreds of people. I can tell you thousands in some of the villages where we put these wells use that well now because there's 10,000 people in villages right around it and they're the only clean water within four or five hours walk. And it's called the Nazarene or the Jesus well. It's connected to the Church of the Nazarene. We're the Nazarene well. Here's a building we started before COVID. I'm praying about this building. And I'm not trying to raise funds. I'm just telling you how you can pray. God's laid it on my heart. We started before COVID. COVID shut it down. The walls are up. It needs, it's already being used. They'll have, a, they'll have four or 500 pastors in there for training. They'll have NYI conferences here. The floor needs to be put in electricity. We'll see what God does. Well, um, <clears throat> We got a team going from this area of, uh, how much time do I got? Okay, not much time. So uh, we got a team going of um, six people from this area. I'm going to ask them to come up here. And then, um, and then I want to give you all something before we go. Because I, I want you to see how God feels about you. And I want you to see how I feel about you. And I want us to feel that way about the people we're going to minister. Here's the story. I'm going to tell you the story. Come on over here, guys. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, there was a guy by the name of Bart Starr. Anybody remember Bart Starr? Yeah. Bart Starr was a quarterback for uh, Green Bay Packers. You may not be into football, but you'll catch the story. He's a quarterback for the, for the Green Bay Packers and a uh, uh, great quarterback. He had uh, some sons and kids and he had a practice with his children as they grew up in the home, uh, Bart Starr did. Um, he would take a little card, and he would write a note on it to them, and he'd put it on their desk. He'd say, dear son, I love you. You're the greatest son. I believe in you. You're a 10 in my eyes. And he'd take a dime, and he'd put it on that paper, and he'd leave it there for the son to read. 
Kitty, come home with a great paper. Oh, son, I love you, man. Great, great job. I'm so proud of you. You're a 10 in your dad's eyes, and he'd put a dime right there. Well, one day, um, he was playing the uh, Bears, and he had a miserable game. Bart Starr, he threw inter- interceptions. They lost the game terribly. Everybody criticized Bart Starr. They said, you're no good. You've had your day. You know, you washed it up. Give it up. Go home. Don't come back. He gets home, flies across the nation, gets home, walks up the stairs late at night. Everybody's asleep. Takes off his clothes. He puts his wallet on the desk, and there's a card. And on the card, it simply said, Dad, we love you. You're the best dad. Dad, you're a 10. And on that card was a dime. His kids had said, Dad, don't listen to everybody else. We believe in you. That's how God feels about us. Don't worry about what everybody else says. It's him that matters. How he feels about you. And when God looks at you, he sees a 10. Now, when you leave today... Don't have time to pass these out. When you leave, there'll be ushers back here at the back. About ten of them. Two at each door. And uh, I want to give you a card. Pastor Jason, we're going to do it when people leave. Okay? I'm going to give you a card. And I want you to put it on a refrigerator. I want you to put it on a mirror someplace where you can see it every day. So when you see that card, you read it. When it says you're a ten, you remember. When God looks at you. Like when you see that card, you just go like this. And you remember God's with you. He loves you. Reach out, touch his garment. He'll do the rest. Amen, church? Amen. Now, guys, come over here, right front and center, okay? This is our team. Come over here, Papa San. There's Papa San. This is pretty cool. We have two men from Eugene Church joining us. They're both bringing their sons. Um, that's pretty cool. So I have my granddaughter here, who's getting married four weeks after she gets back. This is commitment. This is commitment. This is my my daughter-in-law, who's going with me to teach, because Pastor Julie couldn't go. This is a lady who teaches at College of Idaho. You can Google her name, uh, Dr. Tara Moore. And she's going to help me teach pastors and district leaders because she teaches teachers how to teach. And pastors need to know how to teach, especially in a nation where they have no education. So look at this. I prayed for over 10 years that God would help me take some of my family, and it just happened. And I'm so, I'm so humble and grateful. And then this guy, well, he's going by himself, but I'll probably wind up being your bed partner, buddy. I don't know. It's going to be a tough one. Yeah. And guess what we have down here? We have another father and a daughter. Lamont and Emily Laux. And this is your team. And I want you to know it's not just us, but you have moms and dads, you have significant others. In fact, is your fiancé here? Oh, Oh, he's here. Oh, would you just stand up real quick? This is her fiancé. And this guy believes God's going to do something in her heart when they're there. I'd say that's pretty cool. Amen? Amen? You can be seated, buddy. Man, you are a good-looking dude. I'll tell you what. Um, Yeah. So every single one of you are giving, you're sacrificing. And by the way, it's when I first started going to Malawi over a dozen years ago, more than that, it cost us $1,500 for everything. It's uh, $4,200, I think, $44, $42, $44, flights, meals, and all that stuff. 
The minute we get there, most of this team is going to be with 800 children day one, two, and three. 800 kids, count them. You need to pray for them. Uh, They're taking frisbees, soccer balls, all kinds of stuff because we're going to connect with the kids on their level and teach them about Jesus. And believe you me, some of those kids will be pastor in our church tomorrow. Are you with me? You see the vision? You see how it works? You give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, and God does the rest. You just show up. God uses you for his glory. And that's what's going to happen through these young people. And uh, Dr. Tara and myself and Dennis, we're going we're gonna to head to northern Malawi, about five or six hours north. Then we're going to come back together. We're all going to Mozambique. We're going to be ministering to policemen who some people are trying to kill. That's going to be our environment there. We're going to be caring for the police force in Tet. You can Google it up. Tet, T-E-T-E, Mozambique. And we're going to minister to these police officers. And there's a whole other story. Um, We need your prayer for safety. We need your prayer for effectiveness in ministry. If you're making a prayer list... In fact, pray that when we get to the, the airport, I mean, right off the bat, we got a challenge. I think they're going to charge us $70 a person for our luggage. So pray, that, pray against that. Anybody want to pray against that for me? That God will help us not have to pay. That's going to be $400 and some dollars uh, for, for our luggage because half of our luggage is all ministry-driven. It's, it's, got, it's packed full of ministry stuff to give to kids who have nothing. So just pray for us. We, we need your prayers. Prayer is what makes the difference. Now, as we go this morning, as we close the service, um, the uh, missions uh, team who leads us in our missions vision in this church. They're going to pray over us. And so, uh, Bob Donahue, where are you, Brother Bob? Come on up, Dr. Bob. Love you, man. This guy's a great guy. He's a great leader. He does such a great job for us. He's passionate about missions. You know that. So I think what they're going to have us do, we're going to save some time. We're going to go right down here in the middle is what they're going to ask us to do. So, Lamont, would you just kind of lead us, brother? We're going to go right down to the middle here. And I'd like the team, Eula who is a prayer warrior in the church. He's going to lead the prayer time for us. Uh, Dr. Bob, where do you want us, man? Just come right down here. Okay. You and then I'm going to, I'm going to turn this out. the mission council. People call, come. Charity, you bring your husband and Hufe, and you come and join us down here, would you? Love you. Yeah, I'll tell you something about you. Okay. Samuel, Noah, I see some of you. Come ahead. And then I'd like the board members and our staff to all gather around too. And all of you that can just yeah. come around, touch each other, back of each other. We're going to pray for, give a good send off today. Come here, dude. Come on in, man. Everybody who'd like to just come right ahead. Hey, Coco, come in here. Come on. This is my granddaughter. <laughs> We're going to ask Eula. To, you, to uh, lead us in prayer today, and she's got quite a ministry of prayer, and I uh, really appreciate her. Thank you, Lord. Let's just bow our heads together in our hearts, and just uh, let's pray together, shall we? Praise you, Lord. Before I pray, I want to tell the team, when I was a teenager, I felt called to go to Africa to mm-hmm. mission mm-hmm. and then I found out I was crippled and I couldn't go. But my heart is over there. Oh, I went with a team. My heart went with a team before, wow. and I go with you. Wow. 
go and do the work that God calls you to do. Thank you, Lord. Be blessed. Thank you, bless Lord. the people. Thank you, and you'll Jesus. come back a changed person. Thank you, Lord And I will be praying for you the whole time you're there. Praise you, Lord. Dear Heavenly Praise Father, you. we thank you for this day. And we thank you for this team that is going to Africa to help preach your gospel and yes. help direct your people there, Lord. Yes, Lord. We pray that you'll give them a safe journey over there and back. Keep them safe while they're there. And Lord, help them to do the work that you have for them to do with joy and with pleasure and wanting to serve you. Yes. We thank you today for who you are, Lord, and what you've done yes. in their lives and in our lives. Mm -hmm. And as a church, Lord, we pray that you will just keep them safe and be yes. blessed in all that goes on for them, Lord, and we'll give you all the praise. Amen. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.